Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome yet again. Uh, it happens to be Wednesday, September 16th on a uh, cool morning here in Pittsburgh. Um, I've been sitting here trying to do something that was a challenge posed by um, the Saturday New York Times, um, which was uh, describe your life now in six words. Um, And this is based on a supposed uh, story uh, written by Ernest Hemingway. Whether that's true or not, who knows. But it is a story that is only six words long. And it's a doozy. So listen to what you can do in six words. For sale, colon, baby shoes, comma, never worn. Wow. I mean that, yeah, in that it lies uh I mean, every time I've read that a few times, and every time my my heart just sinks. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. So, not that we're going to do better than that, but I've been sitting here trying to come up with one, and and the Times printed some that people sent in, um trying to describe uh, their lives, uh, six words at a time. And, you know, they range from just the, yeah, totally descriptive that we can all relate to. Here's one. Read every book in the house. (laughs) Or these opt- – here's somebody looking for a silver lining, an, op- an optimistic uh, turn. Numbers rise, but sun does too. Um, I've been trying to come up with one – What's what's – because what's in my head of late is, you know, our human need for nostalgia. I think it is. I mean, all through my life, that seems to be, you know, people talking about the good old days, <laughs> our airbrushed memories of what life was when we were young. Now, I suppose that's it had never occurred to me that that's not the case for some. So I've been, I've been trying to think how in six words do you say that these, these, this is our children's good old days. You know, I, 
people of my age, you know, talking about the 50s, you know, as like some wonderful time. Well, yeah, if you were a certain person in a certain place, in a certain skin, I don't know. But six words, and you think, how can you do anything? And then you think of that for sale <laughs> baby shoes never worn here are a few more from people who sent them in and this one I relate to and I've said as much avoiding death but certainly not living Here's another. These two take on big issues in six words. One, this is what time looks like. And two, the world has never felt smaller. And, you know, that can be taken on so many levels, that one. You know, the confines of our of our homes, if we're stuck in them, or the fact that the entire world is all living the same nightmare of, uh, of pandemic. I mean, there's so many ways that that person, uh, you know, nailed it. The world has never felt smaller. And here's one that made me laugh because I've done it. <laughs> Cleaned Lysol container with Lysol wipe. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There's our life right now. Anyway, I've been wanting to share those with you. If and if that sets any of you off on a on a uh, an effort to condense your reality right now into six words. It's something to do, you know, which is uh, something that some of us are uh, looking for in these times. Other people have way too much to do. Someone, speaking of that, posted who had been on, I don't know, I think she was on CNN uh, yesterday as one of their, you know, who knows, uh, expert on something or other. And so she posted a, a screenshot of her uh, head, her face, uh, you know, on CNN talking, responding to something. You see the banner uh, on the bottom. And then she posted a picture right next to it that was taken by somebody else in her house that showed her uh, – where she was sitting and the room she was in and the state of the room and the state of her. And it was so wonderful because that woman who looked so composed uh, on CNN was in fact um, in this living room that was strewn with primary colored plastic children's toys 
all over the floor. She was sitting on a sort of on a I think a chair, but with a makeshift kind of a desk where she put her computer so that she could be seen, you know, because she was just had to manufacture this uh, studio herself. She's wearing shorts and flip flops and um, and there she is. She's in her home, clearly a mother with young children working, being on national television, but having all of this other uh, responsibility. And I know that that picture of what her life really looked like, as opposed to the just what appeared on CNN from her, you know, uh, just her shoulders and head that uh, this was a woman like so many others juggling so much stuff in her life. (sighs) So let me see. Well, I said life, so what does that make me think of? Death. Let's do that obit I said that I had wanted to get to yesterday and never got around to. And had for me a surprising Pittsburgh connection. I'm sure many of you already know it, but I hadn't. I'd heard of this guy, but really didn't know much about him. He was known by a lot of um, you know folks because of the media as uh, Murph the Surf. Jack Murphy, and he was known not because he was an exemplary character. No, he was known in his life because of his criminal history and because of the audacity and even stupidity at the same time of that history and because He was handsome, and even it shows that always media are drawn to people who just embody a good story. So Jack Murphy, who with two other characters, pulled off the biggest jewel heist in New York City history. Uh, he and his pals, he was 27 years old, and he and his pals had just seen this movie that I've, I've seen before. It's called uh, Top Copy, and it's, it's about um, a plot to steal this uh, jeweled and crusted dagger from a palace in Istanbul. And so these three... 20-somethings, see that movie, and they start thinking, hey, let's go steal some jewelry. And they ended up breaking into the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and making off with a sapphire larger than a golf ball 
which was known as the Star of India, and a whole bunch of other gems. So that's the beginning of the story of Murph the Surf. Um, these three had not planned this all that well. They were captured two days later. Uh, according to the New York Times obit, they had left a trail of amateurish, amateurish clues and um, were you know, easily, easily apprehended by New York City detectives. And, uh, but the jewels, most of them were not with them. And in fact, they had been stashed uh, in Biscayne Bay in waterproof bags. Uh, So that is where they were. So um, Murph the Surf was uh, not somebody whose word you could believe. So you can see that in doing this obituary, they had to keep saying, well, it is said that, or, you know, where he was born or where he lived, everything is up in the air because he claimed all kinds of things that were, who knows, maybe true, maybe not, maybe sort of true. Well, as the Times put it, by his own account, he had been a concert violinist with the Pittsburgh Symphony at 18 years of age. Now, I think that's probably pretty easily checked, and um, I doubt, (laughs) I doubt whether that's true, although apparently he played the violin and uh, pretty well, and he um, was in Pittsburgh when he was 18 years old. He happened to be a pretty dang good athlete at... uh, McKeesport High School. And he won a tennis championship there, in fact, and was offered a scholarship to Pitt. So uh, he went off to Pitt, I guess, when he wasn't studying. He was playing at the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. Um, He goes off to Pitt. And he drops out within months because he didn't like the school work. He hitchhiked down to Miami and he, you know, just started doing what he did for most of his life. Finding odd jobs, scuba diving, playing tennis, dancing, yada, yada, yada. He became a, a stunt diver. Um, I mean, just a a lot of things. Surfboarder. Um, let me see. He won the '62 Daytona Beach, Florida Surfing Championship. <laughs> but by the time he's 26, he's breaking into the American Museum of Natural History and stealing the um, Star of India. 
I mean, this is a guy who by 26 had crammed a lot of a lot of stuff into his uh, into his life. And what happened to him, and I, I think it's because he was such a raconteur, you know, making up stories, that, yeah, the media fell in love with him. And they portrayed him as a, a kind of, you know, folk hero, this great character. And, of course, because he was good-looking. The media played down one aspect of his life, which is just stunning. Because I can see where, you know, a jewel theft, big deal, didn't hurt anybody, blah, blah, blah. But of all the time he spent in prison, he spent very little for the jewel theft. He spent a lot more time in prison, should have been more than he did, for the brutal murder of two women. And somehow that never dampened media's love of this guy. So I'm a little confused because in 1964 was the jewel theft I don't think he served more than a few years, and then he gets out, and in 1967, he kills two – he and a Miami thug, according to the obit, meet these two women, two secretaries, who were no uh, – you know, they were, they were not good girls. They had, in fact, stolen half a million dollars in securities from um, a California – brokerage house where they worked and somehow uh, Murph the Surf and his buddy uh, hook up with them and then they killed him and according to the times the women were bludgeoned and hacked to death their bodies were anchored with concrete blocks and dumped over board of their speedboat north of Miami. Uh, they get caught. He's, he goes to trial, and he was sentenced to life in prison. He only served 17 years, and somehow he gets out. Why? Because he's Murph the Surf, and he he found God and everybody fell for his for his his new shtick the born again Christian with a new vocation preaching to prison inmates he became a television evangelist he appeared with celebrities um, all over. He was once at a prayer breakfast with President Ronald Reagan, this double murderer. He became a good friend of uh, Roger Staubach, the Cowboys quarterback. So, I don't know. 
obviously a pretty incredible life, but not a not one that should allow you to be celebrated as he was. And it made me think of how in our culture, and this shows how far back it goes, that for a lot of people, including media and the people who then uh, ingest that media, it's not – it doesn't matter a lot if you're famous or you're infamous, infamous, famous or infamous. It doesn't matter, good or bad. If you're good, copy. If there's something about you, even if it's only a glib tongue and good looks, you can be a star. You can sit with presidents and football hall of famers you can get out of jail even though you had a life sentence if you're Murph the Surf Jack Murphy anyway it's over now he's dead he died at the age of uh, 83 Okay. Born in California, his family moved uh, to uh, Pittsburgh or McKeesport or whatever when he was, uh, you know, in his teen, teenage years. So it wasn't that he was here long, but he was here uh, long enough to apparently uh, play the violin in the Pittsburgh Symphony and uh, play, get a scholarship to Pitt. <laughs> Go figure. Anyway, that was so there I was bemoaning that some people get famous for being horrible human beings, really. And there I am uh, proving it because it's good copy. Okay. What we got going here today? Let me see. Oh, so some states are still having their primaries. Delaware had a primary yesterday and uh unsurprisingly uh the democratic uh incumbent senator chris coons easily won uh the democratic uh, nomination but the republicans the the republican uh who will run against uh coons was not the republican that the party wanted to win their candidate fell quite badly to a woman named Lauren Witzke, who won the Republican Delaware primary for Senate by 57% of the vote. And what makes this remarkable is that this is a woman who is full-on QAnon. Uh, bringing to how many? Is anybody keeping uh, – okay, she is the second uh, QAnon supporter to win a Republican Senate primary. 
the other being in Oregon, a woman named Joe Ray Perkins, is the Republican nominee for Senate, QAnon. Now, what's interesting, and think of the other QAnon woman we're aware of that's in, you know, going to be in the Congress because the Democrat actually dropped out. Three women, all subscribing to the insanity of QAnon and representing the Republican Party. I'm sure. The Republicans should be so proud. Let's remind you again about uh, QAnon, because uh, Dana Milbank has a, a piece um, today. And I, I'll just read his first few paragraphs. He says, from an objective viewpoint, QAnon conspiracy theories are not exactly batting a thousand. For instance, it does not appear to have been true. So listen, these are the things they believe. It does not appear to be true that John F. Kennedy Jr. faked his death in that airplane crash, remember? Faked his death and masqueraded as a bearded Trump supporter named Vincent Fusca. So... Why? So that he could reveal his true identity at President Trump's 4th of July celebration, where he would then replace Vice President Pence as Trump's running mate. That's just one of the QAnon conspiracy theories that are out there. John F. Kennedy Jr. faked his death, became this Republican uh, Fusca, and actually he was to be Trump's uh, – and people believe that. Didn't happen. Would have I would have known about that. We would, it would have been covered if John F. Kennedy Jr. showed up at the 4th of July celebration and became Trump's running mate. Okay, so that's one. Here's another. A guy named Austin Steinbart, uh, who a lot of people once believed to be the guy who started QAnon. He, he's believed to be Q, QAnon, Anonymous, Q. So this guy, Austin Steinbart, was believed to be Q, and they, that he had this amazing prophetic ability to uh, understand the inner workings of the government because – there's a reason – because he received messages from his future self through quantum computing. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Well, Steinbarker was recently jailed for violating the terms of his pre-trial release on extortion charges. And at the time <coughs> he was jailed, he had in his possession a prosthetic penis called a wizenator, which is uh, something that is used, believe it or not, for falsifying drug tests. Uh, another QAnon uh, conspiracy theory, 
And remember, the people who believe this crap are going to be in the Congress of the United States. And the Republican voters are voting for them from sea to shining sea. They believe Hillary Clinton uh, was imprisoned in October of 2017, as Q had said would happen. Um, that she was arrested, and the one we think is Hillary Clinton walking around today is uh, a clone. Yeah, QAnon. They think uh, North Korea's Kim Jong-un is a CIA agent and that people like you, you liberals, are um, drinking something called adrenochrome, which we make uh, by getting blood of children that are held as um, in the pedophile rings that um, that our elites uh, run, you know, Tom Hanks and um, the Dalai Lama and uh, Barack Obama. So what I told you yesterday about, you know, this Michael Caputo guy saying, you know, that there are he has to fear for his life and they're going to kill him and go get ammo because these the this administration, the Trump administration and, the, and this Trump Republican Party is so filled with deranged, literally deranged humanity. And what is frightening is not just – it's not Trump anymore. It's these people. Trump's one guy. There's millions of these people. And, you know, this has been going on for a long time. Anybody who has been, you know, paying any attention at all to, like, you know, the right-wing AM radio for the last 20, 30 years uh, has heard this craziness. But it's been ratcheted up to a point at which you do have to question the, ins- the the sanity of a frightening percentage of our fellow citizens. Rush Limbaugh the other day. Just so you know, I mean, this is still going. This right wing. Uh, propaganda, uh, cabal, Fox News, uh, Limbaugh, and all the other right-wingers, the whole AM dial, okay? Limbaugh was saying, telling his 
audience on Friday. And I want you to know this because this helps explain in some ways that these guys have pretty much a script. They have talking points. They agree upon how they're going to create this alternative reality and then repeat it and repeat it and repeat it to their brainwashed listeners. So he's talking about the fires on the West Coast. And he pivots to climate change. And he says this. Environmental wackos want man to be responsible for it, the fires, because they want to control your behavior. They want to convince you that your lifestyle choices are the reason why all these fires are firing up out on the left coast. This idea that global warming, climate change, is a hoax designed to allow the left to then force people into a certain lifestyle and to make them feel guilty, right? A few hours later Friday, Tucker Carlson is on Fox News, and he's giving them the same story. Quote, in the hands of Democratic politicians, climate change is like systemic racism in the sky. You can't see it. But rest assured, it's everywhere, and it's deadly, and it's your fault. (coughs) So that's getting to democratic talking points, systemic racism, and, uh, and global climate change in, in one or two sentences. These are both democratic conspiracy theories designed to allow them to control these poor people, to make them feel guilty, to make them feel like they're bad people. It's their behavior that's creating all of this trouble. Mark Levin, later, same day, right-wing radio host. Quote, they want to talk man-made climate change because out of this, they want to control you. It's just like the race stuff, systemic racist. Well, what do you want to do about it? 
control you, beat you down. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to confess to something. And so now they're also starting to peddle that it is left-wingers that are setting these fires, right? I mentioned this yesterday. And that's being done because it helps to play into Trump's, uh, what Trump's trying to spread, that somehow the left is responsible for all of the violence that is going on, the horror of the violence in America's cities, which is something they've just made up. The horror of these fires, they're actually putting it on us. And here's an interesting little fact after watching, you know, and listening to these guys trying to blame California and these democratic states for not handling their forests well so that this is what you get. You got to clean the floor, says our president. You got to sweep up these leaves. Here's the reality. The state of California owns all of 3% of the forest land in California. The state owns 3%. The federal government, that'd be the responsibility of Donald Trump, owns 58%, 58% of California's forests that are burning. The majority, the vast majority, the state owns 3% and the rest is owned, held privately. Look it up. God. So, oh, I, I mentioned Caputo before. So he's apparently thinking. He's apologized. He's he's thinking about uh, taking uh, uh, medical leave, not because he's clearly bonkers, but no, it, he made very clear for physical uh, medical issues that uh, he's been dealing with. <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess. What he did was just a bridge too far for even the Trump the Trump people because they made him apologize and maybe are forcing him, uh, you know, to go away for a bit. Oh my! What else we got here? I have. Um, Nothing happy, guys. I can't help myself. The happiest I got was Murph the Surf, I think. I don't 
think I got anything else here. And you're being remarkably quiet today. Not complaining. I'm just just noting it. Um, Charles Blow writes for the New York Times. Um, the other day, this is not from today. I've cut it out a while ago. He um, he started a column essentially asking, you know what? I'm sure we've all asked at some point. I know I, as a child, would be so troubled by this question. And then as a young adult, I'd be so troubled by this question. And now I'm still troubled by this question. And we have talked about it before. But I'll read what he says. He says, I have often wondered how major world tragedies and horrors were allowed to unfold. Where were all the good people? Where were the good people who who should have objected, who, who should have done something? How did life simply go on with horror in their midst? And he brings up examples. You have them. For heaven's sake, slavery, hundreds and hundreds of years, right in front of everybody. Yeah. The Holocaust. Rwanda. Darfur. How? Could these things happen? And people knew, and nobody did anything. And then he says, well, we don't have to wonder anymore. Because it turns out that our present day is providing the unsettling answer to how could this have happened? The unsettling answer is, it was easy. It was ridiculously easy. Now we see that a semblance of normalcy that life can go on while horrible events are unfolding. And, you know, he goes on to, in case you can't think of, what's he talking about? Well, 200,000 Americans have died. I, w- I want to talk to you about that, by the way, because I'm seeing more and more people saying that we're already immune to these numbers. And I think that's true. 200,000 
it doesn't matter how many multiples of the Vietnam uh, uh, casualty toll that is. It doesn't. We just we're not reacting. Um, I think we can see now, and I mean, I hate to be proven correct, but when this started and they were throwing, even Fauci was throwing around this number, we could see, I think he started with 40 and then he said 60 million, I mean, 60,000, Jesus, 60,000 dead from this. And I remember saying, it's going to be 250,000 dead. And you know what? It's going to be 250,000 dead by the time we get to the election. Quarter of a million Americans. Probably half, easily half of whom, maybe more, did not need to die. But for the total dereliction of responsibility and duty of this administration. The climate crisis, he mentions, storms getting stronger, droughts severe, rivers flooding, sea levels rising, glaciers melting, and, and China uh, has set up concentration camps. We know this, but we still buy cheap Chinese goods that these slave laborers in these camps are producing. As Charles Blow says, the world does little. Oh, yeah, we note it. I know there's those camps. Just like people might have known there were concentration camps in Germany and Poland. But that doesn't keep us from living our lives. We look away, life goes on. And so he says, this is how, this is how horror happens. In full sight and people with full knowledge, do not revolt. They might think, well, it's far away it's not anything i or it's uh it's too big i have no power what am i supposed to do he says we think provincially small small we have a very small foot we tighten our focus parochially concerned with our own my own family my own house Not anybody else. But back to his words, the result is that evil rampages. And if you do not complain or protest, you condone 
do not think that the evil will stop at your gate, that it will not trample your garden. And then his plea. Don't let history records moment as it has recorded too many others. A time when good people did too little to confront the wickedness and disaster. And then he reminds us of the Edmund Burke quote. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hi, Lane. How you doing? I'm okay. Thank you. You're talking about them radio people, Lynn. There's a station in Johnstown that their lineup is Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Levin. Mm-hmm. All day, all along. Yeah. There's a million stations like that. That's what... Uh, that's what they do. Let me tell you, they get those. Those are all syndicated shows. The station pays next to nothing for them. It's the easiest way to have a uh, a radio station where you pay no, you know, you have no labor. You just got one person, you know, sitting in a room pushing a button every once in a while. And you still sell advertising. You got the producer, and that's it. No, it's not a producer here because all those shows are produced and then sent to these stations. Um, All you know, totally done. Um, It's it's all of a package, so that the station, that station in Johnstown, uh, they just need a salesperson or two to sell advertising during these shows uh, that they do not produce. And uh, that they don't pay a hell of a lot for. They do not. They do not. It's a cheap way to make money as a station owner and to help destroy the country. And, Lynn, did you ever wonder about those people I just mentioned, how they can sit down in their room and wherever they are and come up with these stories? How do they do that? Have they no conscious? Well, you answer that for me. No. No. They're doing they're doing business. They might in fact even agree with what these people are peddling. It's good for business. You remember the, you remember the guy who said, I'm addicted. To prescription drugs, Limbaugh. Yeah, and they said, okay, you know, took him off the air for thirty days, and now there he is back, getting the uh, Medal of Honor, Freedom, Presidential Honor, Freedom. Are you kidding me? Well, 
He's well, if you were Donald Trump, you would because he's been creating your base for years, whipping them up, feeding them crap, messing with their heads. Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's sometimes people you just wonder, you know, you listen to what they say and you think, do you really believe that? It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, Lynn, I'm going to leave you in something, all right? Okay. Walked into a bar the other day and I asked the bartender to give me a double. And he walked into the back room and he brought a guy out that looked just like me. <laughs> You're out of here. Yeah, Both of you. Bye. Uh, Allison writes, I never listened to AM radio. I didn't realize Limbaugh was back on the... Oh, yeah. I have a physical aversion to Fox News. Just mentioning Limbaugh's name now makes me think of him receiving the Medal of Honor from Trump. (laughs) These hate mongers just sicken me. But I understand now how these people in Oregon are not leaving their homes in order to protect their homes from the looters and thugs they imagine are coming. Yeah, they're told this by people they, they trust. They've listened to, they've let into their living rooms for years. Yeah. Allison says, I still can't wrap my head around it, but it, I do understand it a bit more. Come to think of it now, about half of this country sickens me. Well, it scares me. Yeah. And you know what? They're scared of us. God almighty. Oh, Milton, my gosh. Good for you, buddy. Milton has come up with one, two, three, five, six word whatever, stories, uh, uh, descriptions of uh, these times that we live in. I'll do them as they come, Milton, here. Oh, yeah. Traditional Sunday dinner for one again. Oh, I can relate. Ah! And here's one about Murph the Surf. He'd mastered violin, but chose larceny. <laughs> You're good at this. I'm not. I could never do a haiku either. Um, oh, yeah. Here's one. Pulled over for speeding. Death ensued. Here's another. Jews and blacks. White America's fall guy. Z. Fall guy Z. Well, that, if you had more than six words, you would have had all the other immigrants, right? Gays, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, we can't do them. Can't do them all. All the ones that are going to be blamed, marginalized, and 
and not make it uh, uh, into their wonderful utopia they think they're building. And this taking a swipe at Trump and clean the forest floor, Milton comes up with, despite the cleaned floor, infernos rage. Love it, Milton. Good for you. You took the challenge. I have another caller. Go ahead, please. Hi. Hi. Hi, Lynn. Hey, um, I'm all, um, you know, you positive towards election. You know that. So this is not nothing to do with the election. But I think we're setting up for the fall, for failure when it comes to coronavirus. It, the the loosey goosey, just not wearing masks. Just what I see. Yeah. I got we have construction here. We have these gas guys putting gas lines in. Not one of them wears a mask. Then you have the Columbia gas guy come. He don't have a mask. They all they're like two feet apart, even closer. It's it's like they're not taking it serious. So come come uh, whenever it kicks up, it's going to be bad because they just. Just not taking it serious, and I'm ashamed of this country that they're such babies that they can't wear a mask and maybe not go to church or maybe not do this just for a little while, people. That's all it takes, but nah, not in this country because they don't want to sacrifice nothing. They well, it would have been a little while, but now they're making it. We'll never get out of this. And yeah, and and I, the I, thing I, is. Th- they're being asked to do a little sacrifice, right? A little sacrifice for the common good, and they go insane. Yeah, it's it's a baby, and the guy that's yeah. running the whole show is a baby, so yes. the baby's too falling them. That's just yeah. what it is. It's yeah. a shame, but I, I'm really concerned about it come fall. I, and well, I think we should all be. Cold symptoms, and they'll overflood the uh, ER. Yeah. Then they'll. Yeah go to the doctors because they think you have corona, it's just going to be a friggin' mess. What are you going to do? Hate to hear some negative news. <laughs> now there's the old guy. There, there you are. That's the guy I remember. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Okay. What we got? Uh, Father Joseph writes, Lynn, by law, the outgoing president can seal his or her records for 12 years. It is illegal. I didn't know that. Well, how can, oh, their records. They can't do things that would be like belong to all of us, right? I don't know. It is ill. I'll, someday, Father Joseph, I'm going to read one of your emails and not interrupt it, okay? This is not the day. Back to Father Joseph. It is illegal for a president to destroy records. If Trump loses this election, I think the race will be on to destroy records, while the agencies responsible for retaining them will look the other way until after the inauguration. If Trump wins, oh, God, please perish the thought. Come on. If Trump wins, we're all, we're, you know, kiss it goodbye. We're gone. It's over. If Trump wins, I don't think the records will matter. Nothing will. Because we may face a struggle to retain two term limits 
Now, it, it's over then. If that occurs, this will be a very long journey for our country. Nah, it'll be over. This is beyond imagining years ago, but then so was the possibility of a President Trump. Yikes. Yeah, and listen, Father Joseph, if Trump wins, it's over. It's over. What would these people do with four more years? What would they do? And I just, I can't even imagine. And that, you know, that, 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 that sort of sense, I'm too old, so I just stay. But that sense that I would like, you know, want my child or younger people to just get out of here, literally get the hell out of here. But nobody wants us. At least if the pandemic's still going. And since Trump and his people are just determined to show people that they don't need to do anything to mitigate the spread, Americans are not going to be able to travel anywhere. We'll know what it's like to be on a <clears throat> a ship like the St. Louis that was filled with desperate refugees from Germany, women and children, desperate, trying to escape the Nazi killing machine, and we turned them away. Not because they were carrying any pestilence. Well, to some it was but because they were undesirable. They were Jews. Well, we're all going to know what that feels like, maybe. God, stop! Excuse me, I'm, I'm, I was screaming at myself. I was screaming at me. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, real quick, getting in these emails that just came in, and then I'm going to have to go. Uh, Keith writes, Speaking of hoaxes, am I the only one who is starting to believe Limbaugh's alleged lung cancer is a hoax? Yeah, he's still, is it lung cancer? It was stage four. He's going strong, isn't he? Too mean to die, maybe. I don't know. Guy was diagnosed nine months ago, still has the breast support of to do talk for three hours a day. Not even a, tra yeah, it doesn't makes sense to me either. My grandmother died of mesothelioma and spent her remaining months hooked up to tubes. Yeah, it. I agree. Doesn't make sense. Wow. Uh, little Tony says, Lynn, I always liked the local talk radio. Yeah, it was, a, well, it was good for a while there. What did we know? Those were the good old days. Remember when local talk radio was so good? I could never stand syndicated shows and never listen to them. They suck. Yeah. Yeah, we had a good little run there. And like so many things, when we're in the midst of it, we don't know that we're in the good old days. Yeah. Well, lucky to have had them. Uh, thank you all. And uh, I guess that's it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I don't know why I'm so sort of all of a sudden 
unwilling to leave, but I'm going to go. Hang in there. Hang in there. Dear God, be well. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.